The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Bo. This is Caroline. And tonight we're here to discuss the eighth episode of the fourth season of This Is Us. This one was called Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's how I always say it. I always say it like in a million different voices when I'm sorry. I'm like, sorry, sorry, so sorry. I try to be funny when I'm when I have done something wrong. Yes. <laughs> Here's the deal. She my doesn't policy, get much much practice at saying it. Ooh. I was gonna say my policy is don't ask for permission. Just apologize after the fact. Or just never apologize <gasps> and Ooh. never ask for permission. He's so snotty. Well, what about you? Are you kept an apology? Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm apologizing left and right. Oh, I'm, you do? Like, do you feel like you say sorry a lot to people? Yeah, all the time. No, for real? Do you really? Like, because I'm always saying it. I know women say it so much more. Like, I will say it just if I'm in a meeting, I'll be like, I'm sorry, but, you know, was this the, this is whatever? Okay, no, do I don't do it like it, use it like that. No, it's mostly just focused towards you, I would say. <laughs> damn i find myself saying it more to our children lately because i'll like they're teenagers and i feel like i will like kind of be tired of their antics and then i'll be like your mother's losing her mind and then i'll be like i'm sorry i'm sorry i totally freaked out sorry i i threatened to throw your cell phone in the pool i just was uh mom just had enough today like that kind of thing some reason this reminds me of a South Park episode. Oh, it was their take on the Deepwater Horizon disaster. Okay, and I don't know if you recall what happened just after the disaster, but why don't the, you remind our audience who might not remember the chairman or CEO or some some high ranking official at BP put out these commercials where he apologized for the disaster and it all came off as just supremely disingenuous especially when everybody found out that he waited until like his ski vacation or something was over before he came and did the apology tour and all that so it was so south park has they they made their own version of the you know deep water horizon and then they have the bp guy do these commercials but but instead of however it was he did it in the commercial which i can't remember um they show him just like skiing down the slope and, and, and then he takes off his his goggles and he's like i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> and just little things like that you know like on a yacht or whatever oh, so sorry <laughs> it's okay that's funny that's very funny do you agree with kevin's assessment that when you're a kid saying i'm sorry is very heartfelt and meaningful and when you're an adult it's just it just doesn't excuse whatever happened. Yeah, well, kids' steaks and adult steaks are different steaks. You know, the restaurant charges formed completely differently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> but no, but I agree because most of the time when adults say sorry, it's because something, you know, pretty huge has happened. And when kids say they're sorry, it's usually 
usually an accident or a mistake that they've made, mm-hmm. which is not really the same as an adult. Sometimes people say they're sorry when, you know, they, they, they meant to do what they did and now they would like forgiveness, but, you know, they meant to do what they did in the first place. You know, there wasn't really any like big like, oh, I didn't realize that if I like dumped the entire milk container over, it would spill. Like, you know, where little kids are genuinely surprised when, when things go wrong sometimes, you know? Okay. They don't expect yes. the results. When you're an adult, you kind of you kind of know the results, but you do more risk management. That's what I feel like adulting really is. It's just risk management the entire fucking life. How much and what will happen? So that's our lead in into Kevin's story. Yeah, um, I mean, so I think the whole getting involved with Cassidy, it was like a risk management situation. It was like feels good in the moment. We both need comforting. You know, we're both going through some rough stuff. And so, you know, on my pro con list, I'm going to say, eh, I get to have an orgasm pro. So <laughs> the rest of the shenanigans, I'm going to say, who cares? Ask yeah. for forgiveness later or deal with whatever messiness comes up later. That seems to be their their opinion, too. I think so. Yeah. Nikki is a little harder on them than that, though. He he's with the- well, he's harder on Kevin. I wouldn't. I mean, he calls them both morons. But he's specifically hard on Kevin because, you know, I guess if you think about it, I mean, Cassidy is a known entity that she's in a vulnerable spot right now, whereas Kevin's come into town to help Nikki. He's not coming in as the wounded bird, you know. That's true. Where Cassidy is the known wounded bird. She's all bird. (laughs) Well, and there's this, will they, won't they, about getting that marriage back. That by, by sleeping with her, you're basically, you know, you're telling her one thing like, hey, you could fight for this marriage, blah, blah, blah. But then... You know, you're you're kind of making the fork in the road where she's like edging down the other way. Yes. So. Uh, well, but I mean, the husband still was pursuing the divorce and within this same episode, which I can't remember when she gets the divorce papers, but I think that's what propels her to come to the, what do you call it? The motorhome anyway. Trailer. I guess motorhomes propel themselves. Trailers need to be drug around. So that's the the difference. Yes, I would say that is the difference. And also, um, I just think that, okay, let me ask you this question, because I feel like, you know, this is a thing. Do you think it's wrong for consenting adults to find comfort in one another? In this case, she's separated, you know, she's she's on the way to signing divorce papers, at least throughout this episode. And Kevin's single. Is it, is it, is it okay for consenting adults to like find comfort physically with each other? I think so. I think so too. From what I hear, they do it like crazy in Sweden. Whoa. What do you know about Sweden? (laughs) What the? (laughs) What? I would just say the the boundaries about about, uh, consenting adults are are a little lower uh, in in terms of like um, any kind of social problems for for that, that 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 might be caused by consenting adults having relations. All the time. Wow. Okay. That's just what I heard. Hey, you know what? I think the Swedes are pretty progressive in terms of that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, I, I will honestly say that I I can understand where as like an extension of friendship, after you get past like, you know, talking, hugging, whatever, it's like, you know, if you want to show that you care about somebody else, like, I don't know that it's like so crazy. I'm not talking about dating and stuff like that. Obviously, you guys dating, people sleep together, stuff like that. But I'm talking about like this part where they're like friends and they're trying to kind of be like 
comforty, you know, like, is it okay? I guess so. I mean, there's there's nobody getting hurt except for themselves in this, this Yeah, it's scenario. all about, like, I guess where you let your heart go or your brain go, right? What did you think about this whole idea of Kevin feeling this really deep need for Jack right now in his life and using those parachute flashbacks to remind us and even like switch places between Jack and Nikki and now using Nikki as this surrogate. Did we already know that Nikki was a surrogate for his dad? Did we need it illustrated in this way to us? Or did you feel like this was very effective? I felt like the first time watching it that it felt, I don't know, heavy handed a little. I did too. Showing us Jack and switching places with Nikki and are we, are we just supposed to believe in those moments that everything that we saw the Jack persona say was actually Nikki's words, but coming out of Jack? Yeah, I think so. Because I kind of took it the other way. I kind of took it like it was a little of both. Like, tell what does it mean? Like, so you're you're saying he's like he puts it through some sort of filter and it comes out in Jack's words, but they weren't really the same words. Or- yeah, but I mean. Then when he switched back to Nikki, he wound up saying the same thing anyway. So like he said, shame on you, shame on you, to, like in Jack and Nikki, right? So, right, right. Um, so I guess. Does it feel important to you to, to, to understand if those were Nikki's exact words and or if you did filter it through like a Jack filter? Like, does it does it feel like that was like something that we should be cluing into as an audience? They wound up serving the same purpose, which was to make kevin um question what what he'd been doing and kind of the way that he was dealing with cassidy in particular um so i guess not i guess not i i also felt like it was pretty heavy-handed to um to have the physical jack change places with the physical nikki in today's world i think it was enough to have him have those flashbacks to the parachute i thought the parachute itself though was a very effective metaphor for jack in his life in terms of um understanding object permanence with a little kid as little now that little guy was a little bit older than object permanence would come into play but the concept of like my dad i can't see my dad is my dad here and then the parachute goes up up oh, my dad was always here he's here and then the the parachute goes back down oh i can't see my dad i don't know where he is he's not here oh there's my dad's face i think somewhat reassuring during this time that like your dad was always there even when you can't see him even when the parachute's down dad's holding the sheet outside of it and Whoa. so i think <laughs> you like that mm-hmm. i think that it's the kind of thing that i tell my own kids that like you know i will still be in your heart i will still be in your head my words will still be inside you even when i'm when you can't see me that's the kind of stuff that i feel like the parachute really shows visually which was was a great when they use tv and the visual medium the way that you want them to as an audience which is like don't just tell me about it show me it like it's a a visual platform you know show Mm -hmm. it to me so showing that like your dad is still outside that sheet even when you can't see him then that is like yay like you always have him kevin you always have him he's not physically here but he's here he's here inside nikki he's here inside rebecca your siblings you know all that kind of stuff and he realizes that just in time to kind of disappoint him oh ouch i think that you know I really wonder because 
they don't have Jack go off and sleep with anyone or do anything. But if you recall, I mean, Jack is a younger guy. You know, I mean, he was going to rob the bar when he meets Rebecca. Yeah. Like he wasn't this straight arrow necessarily. And I think that that's something that um, gets kind of we put him in this Superman position all the time. But he wasn't without flaws, you know, and so I think that that, you know, Kevin kind of kind of makes him out to be a saint in a lot of ways or all of them do, for God's sake. We all do. But when you really like look at the story that was told about Jack, I mean, you know, he doesn't always he, he drank and drove. He, he did a lot of different things that, you know, weren't the great greatest choices ever. So if Kevin has a misstep and sleeps with a friend when he's feeling sad and she's feeling sad. You know, does he deserve shame on you, finger wagging? I don't know. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's if it's like that. It, nothing. He wasn't doing it with malice. How about that? That's what I'm trying to say. What did you think about the bar scene and like the physical need that men have? And we've discussed this about, um, you know, just sort of the physicality that men can have needing to feel that like punch or needing to feel like punched back. Yeah. I've never felt that need. Oh, bull. You've said that you want to go beat someone up. Well, yeah, but I don't want to receive any beatings. Right. That's, and Kevin was there to, to get beat. Right. The way that he waved him on and it was like, and, and antagonized the, the guy. Yeah. He was, he, he was, was literally looking for trouble. I guess he was. Yeah, so I've never really had that. Yeah, but definitely people do, right? I mean, people who... I've seen it in other movies anyway. Well, sure. where they, they need to feel their pain. So some people like cut their arm or do, you know, things like that, right? So they can feel the pain that they're feeling emotionally. They feel it physically. Like uh, like in the episode where Riggins kind of sides with his dad... And his dad turns out to be the piece of shit that everybody told him told him that he was. Mm-hmm. So he goes back to the bar where he and his dad had hustled some guys for pool, and the guy beats him up out in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Same deal, right? Yeah, where it's like you you sometimes you need to have that expressed in a physical way, which is I mean it's twisted, but it's not uncommon, I guess. You know, people hurt themselves in physical ways. Certainly, I think women, it comes out in other ways, maybe an eating disorder, maybe, you know, doing doing other physical things to themselves, being really, really hard on themselves um, physically. Um, I think that it comes out in a little different ways. I don't I don't think women go seeking to get into a fist fight, but I do think that they punish themselves in much the same way that that men in that position are trying to physically punish themselves. I wonder if I can keep drawing parallels between Riggins and Kevin. Yeah, Riggins and Kevin. I bet Whoa. you I could. I bet you I could. Well, yeah, with the drinking. They're both handed a life based on things that they were just kind of born with, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they they have to work for it, but but still not you know, they, they want, had some natural talent and gifts, you know. Handsomeness is just a gift, you know. It's oh, it's handsomeness, it's, yes. So and they both have it, so they get kind of preferential treatment. So yeah, I bet you I could keep doing this if I really <laughs> wanted. All right, to. well you noodle on that because we have more to talk about. So I was really grateful that we got through the the bar scene without him drinking, and Cassidy and Nikki found him in time to go to the hearing. I think it would have been a massive disappointment if they wrote it that he somehow missed that court hearing. Oh my god! 
It would have been awful. That would have been a huge setback in his character arc. But in a lot of other movies or stories, right, wouldn't that have happened? I mean, the whole reason why he came out there was for the court hearing and then him miss it because he was, you know, basically punishing himself over stuff having to do with the past and all these things, you know. Yeah, but that this actually is... would have probably happened in every other movie or TV show, right? This Some. is network TV, NBC. So yeah. we're not going to have that happen. But I, mean, I was grateful not to go through that. Game of Thrones was kind of famous for those those missed, you know, ships in the nights. You're just a moment too late kind of kind of things. But this ain't Game of Thrones. So, <laughs> yeah, it would have ripped our hearts out. He's 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 character arc should follow you know it'll have little waves but if you were to follow like a, a trend he's on the on the upswing here you know yeah i would say so i hope so i'm crossing my fingers so at least according to casting it sounds like some new people are coming into his life so sophia bush was cast for this uh spring season now of the of his arc and we're guessing she's gonna end up being the mom to his kiddo this is what we're thinking right She's well, a well-known person. We'll run out and running out of time, because if you recall, he's got to, to lay down some permanent uh, ties here at some point in order to have a kid the, that age for that flash forward. I thought this Jennifer Morrison bit would would play out a little longer. She's already requisitely famous enough to have been that, but nope, totally wrong. Do you think that when they drop Cassidy off at the diner, that that's just it? That's that's the last of Cassidy? I think so. I think so. She may come into play, you know, as a support person later in his life, but I really think so. I mean, really, it's not that part. It's the part where she's like outside the window and she's like, they're kind of exchanging there. I hope you get your happy ending. I hope you get your happy ending. That part Mm -hmm. that I think was like the, I mean, if that's not a goodbye what the frig is. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean that that's that's a farewell. So I'm I'm pretty sure that that's the end of it for them. Um which I'm fine. I mean she provided a great deal of introspection for him. She um she gave us a new character to think about the the female version of PTSD for soldiers that I don't think has been depicted as clearly as we have had with, you know, say Nikki for so long or really in a lot of other stories. Um it's often shown as the dad. Um, or or just the man in general. And so I think it was great that they were able to do that. That didn't feel super, it's 2019, so it's got to be a woman who has PTSD and is a soldier. It didn't feel that way to me. You know, it felt very like, that's okay. Like, yeah, it makes sense to me. And there's plenty of women in the military. Like, this completely doesn't stick out to me. It, it flows mm-hmm. naturally. Uh, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, you know, Paul and I talk about this quite a bit, that seems like in 2019, they would go, out of their way, the writers in any story to insert a female character or um, anything different than a white male character in order to show that storyline. And sometimes it would work and it would be fine. And sometimes it would be like, this just feels weird. Like they were trying too hard to be diverse and it didn't actually fit the story very well. But in this case, it really did. And I never thought about the way that she described it. She had a family and she had a community in the military and then coming back how she just felt like, you know, a person in a country with no map and she didn't know how to get her way back home. So, you know, I wonder, do you think that that couple will get back together in a no. way? No. 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 You think it's done? I think, yeah. I mean, the the husband, I guess 
it's like he's he's got as much baggage about what the relationship was and can't really oh, face yeah. about what it is mm-hmm. now. So unless he can do that, take her where she is now and kind of just kiss the high school version of her goodbye, um, then, you know, they don't, they are just co-parenting the, their, their kid at this point. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, and maybe that's the thing. What I, I, happy endings can look different. So, you know, if they both find people to be in relationships with and um, or not or whatever, and they do successfully co-parent, then that can be a happy ending, too. It doesn't have to be that the three of them, you know, become a, a family under the same roof again. So I think that that's that's just as valid as a as a happy ending for them, really, you know, successfully co-parenting where they can have dinner together where he can allow her to come sit with them yeah and that that's not awkward and stuff so i feel good about cassidy and and i i think she's all done with us i kind of wonder if when the this is us group came to atx a couple years ago if they didn't meet nick wexler at that function and make a connection that wound up with him guesting on on the show. I like that very much. That makes a lot of sense. In case you guys don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Austin Television Festival that we go to every year and it's called ATX. And this is us where panelists and Nick Swex- Nick Wexler, hard to say his name, huh? huh? Yeah. Um, he is what they call like a, a special ambassador uh, for the festival. And so that makes a lot of sense to me that they would have crossed paths there. Fogel, Fogelman wasn't there, but uh, Ken Olin was. And casting people, I think, were at different points. And the they? president of NBC. Yeah. So it would make sense to me that there were some connections made there. Uh, it was definitely this this festival, if you guys ever have any interest in it, is a very casual festival. And so, you know, panelists and audience people and ambassadors and stuff would mix and mingle at different events. So it wouldn't be unusual that that would have happened at all. Last year, we went to an event for Drunk History. It was late at night, and Nick Wexler and the other ambassadors arranged for burgers to be brought in. Yeah, and, and, and they so handed out great. burgers. It was so great because that was a that was a night when we were all so hungry for whatever. It's like they read the room just right, you know. That whole crew. I don't know why we had all missed lunch, and it seemed like everyone was just kind of like so dying for dinner. And all of a sudden, these bags of P. Terry burgers were going around. And we were like, yeah. And Colin Hanks was there. It's surreal. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that was, was a good party. Uh, yeah. So, and it was yummy and it smelled so good in there because, you know, if you guys have attended any festivals after a period of time, especially down here in Texas, everyone just smells like B.O. You can't help it. It's not, it's not necessarily like the worst smell in the world, but there's definitely like a body. We I call it active trial. That's what Paul calls it, right? It's like that smell that like you've been outside all day and you can almost like smell sunshine in your hair. Yes. You know, it's just like this heat and uh, you could smell that in the room. And so when the burgers came in, it was like sweet relief for my nasal passages. <laughs> I don't have to smell everyone's attempt to cover their body stink with whatever hand sanitizers they were sticking in their armpits, you know, like, woo, thank God. So we glossed over the court appearance a little bit, and mainly, I think, just because that turned out as expected, and the fact that he said, he you know, no, I don't regret it, and this is why, because I met my met Kevin and all this, 
that's also sort of expected. Yeah, so, I think it was. And I mean, it provided them the clip for all the sneak peeks yeah. and all the trailers where he said, I'm, you know, I'm not remorseful. And then everyone's like, oh, Uncle Nicky goes off to crazy town. Like, yeah. no, I mean, I, you know, and I think that that is a there is a uh, there's a country song by Garth Brooks called Thank God for unanswered prayers and i kind of feel like nikki was sort of channeling that like the idea that like you think you know what you want to happen but sometimes you know bad things can happen and you know you're you're praying things go differently and then they don't and then afterwards you look back and you're like well thank god it didn't happen the way i was pushing for it to go because this actually turned out better and it did because you know if he hadn't lost his therapist and he hadn't flipped out and broken the window then he he wouldn't have had kevin and he wouldn't have been brought back into the pearson fold so much. And they, they also kind of glossed over the idea that like, there's no reason why Cassidy and Nikki aren't going to still cross paths. So in yeah. theory, they met a friend, you know, a friend that, that is what they both kind of needed. For all we know, Nikki needs a ride to AA. Yeah. Or, or just, you know, they might just need to be that checks and balances for going to meetings or whatever, you know, just the occasional dinner, something like that, you know, might be something that each of them could use, you know? Definitely. I feel good about the closing out of all that. And I felt I felt hopeful that by inviting Nikki to dinner for Thanksgiving, that this is going to lead us down. I'm praying a good path. We know that Nikki is at Rebecca's bedside at the very end. Yes. So we know that he remains close to them on some level. Let's just touch Kate just a little bit, just because she's got only a little bit. Okay, so we are talking about Kate and, and you know, learning how to be a parent at home when you have a parent who's working outside the house and you have all those milestones happening with the wee one. And how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the guilt? How do you deal with the excitement as the one who's away from the house? How do you deal with those firsts? What did you think as a dad who was outside the house and I was home? I feel like I'm going to say for my own self, we're so freaking busy. I couldn't have tried to manipulate those firsts um, Um, in order to sync up with something that you would have gotten to see. Well, I mean, everything's kind of a first in those early stages. And then we we had uh, had a lot of babies. Twin kind of a mess. Twin preemies for a long time that had various extra things going on. Like we had to put oxygen on them and and a pulse ox and we had to deal with reflex reflex reflux medicine medicine <laughs> and, and uh and uh we had just a lot of extra happening so if we could the thought of impeding a milestone so that one of us could see it that would have been like what are you doing yeah that would have seemed <laughs> that would have seemed weird yeah. i'm sure it's very common i'm sure i know that people who um leave kiddos with a babysitter it's always um it's been in books and movies and stuff where where it's like don't let them take their first steps like without me there kind of thing where you're supposed to like kind of push them back down like not let them do it before the mom or dad sees but i don't know that that's near that's necessarily the case when one parent's working and one parent's at home. Like, I don't I don't know that the at-home parent is supposed to just like, I mean, are they supposed to have all their first like at night when the, when the other parent comes home? Like, that kind of seems a little contrived and bizarre. And this, they didn't, they didn't have much time for Kate and Toby this week. So they had to just kind of jam this contrived thing a little bit. So it's like, well, 
obviously Toby's too busy because not of not because of work, but because right. of his dedication to CrossFit. Right, right. They definitely tried to make us feel like Toby's a wank because he's completely busy at the gym and, you know, this is bull and he's he's much more worried about actually creating the story on like video rather than actually experiencing it in person. Like he's much more worried about getting the picture or getting the video than he is about being there, which is two different things. Cause it's like, he wants to show his CrossFit people more than he wants to like experience it with the baby, you know, mm. which feels icky. You know, I think that's what would stand out to me. Like, is it more important that you go grab your camera or can you just sit your ass down? And then if you were here, you'd see it, you know? Well, I mean, as the guy that always grabbed his camera, um, it wasn't because I wanted to show somebody. It was because uh, I wanted to, we I wanted it for time. posterity. We were of a different know? time though. Like we didn't have cell phones. You weren't making an Instagram story to go publish it, to have people say, oh, you're so blessed, Paul. Like it wasn't like that, but it is now. And I feel like that's more what Toby was trying to show. I see. Was like, get it to the group chat, you know, have something to show. Okay. So I'm, and I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that. I mean, lots of people do it and it's no big deal, but I'm just saying in the moment, it's like he cared more about that, you know, than maybe necessarily actually being there. Now, I'm positive we are supposed to focus on the fact that Kate feels like she has to keep it from Toby that the neighbor gave him the avocado and he ate it. So I know we're supposed to focus in on the subterfuge of it all. And the neighbor and her having a secret now, her keeping a secret from her husband. Positive, this is the skeleton that we're supposed to be worrying about what other things might happen. Now, I know there's been talk of affairs and stuff like that. I don't know that that feels legitimate maybe an emotional affair with the neighbor where she's going to start telling a lot more personal things and he's going to comfort her and they're going to somehow have this other sort of emotional affair if you will maybe they'll delve into that concept um as a show but i don't i just don't see it i don't see it as more than that just the keeping stuff from him kind of being weird and awkward about about even the baby, you know, using the baby as some sort of pawn for information like that. That all feels like that's a great way to bust up a marriage, you know? The emotional affair business, that's as far as I can see that possibly going. And I don't even see that happening. I, the The only thing that I could comment on about the whole subterfuge thing is I think... I think it's kinder to let him have the the, the memory. First. Yeah. Of yeah, let him have it. I agree with you and it, and I think it's I think you could in your mind say it like it's his first time with dad watching. Like in your head if you had to play it out, right? If you had to like tell yourself a way to like not feel all weird about it, you could just be like, "Okay, so yes, the neighbor, which it's not like she did it." At the neighbor's house, the neighbor was scooping out an avocado and gave Jack a bite of it. It happened like super quick and not like with them, like, you know, goading the baby to to try or something like that. You know what I mean? Like that would seem like she was all in to make it happen when when Toby wasn't there. But she wasn't. It wasn't like that. So Mm -hmm. there's no reason to act, you know, like you have to be guilty about it. Just 
cool out about it. You know, in your head, like I said, just play it out like, well, it's the first time that Toby fed him. Mm-hmm. And just just tell yourself that and just freaking let it go, you know? Mm-hmm. That's me at least. And I'm with you. I think that I think that in our own in our own marriage and in our own life, it's I think it it is kinder to just say, is this information that they need to know? And if they really don't need to know, like, are you are you just doing it to be, I don't know, so factually accurate to the point of hurting the other person's feelings? Like, is that necessary? Oh, you know what? I wanted to not leave Kate before we mention the um, flashback version of Kate with Mark because it was really, really small, but it also felt a little weird. Mark shows up and she says, oh, I miss you. And he says, prove it. It's kind of it's kind of a little sass, right? But then sass turned into a little bit more "Mm," when she just grabs the banana for lunch. Right. And it's pointed out like, hey, that's like not enough food. And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay. But then she says she wants to go see this movie, Practical Magic, which we found out a little nugget about. Griffin Dunn directed it. Griffin Dunn is also Nikki. How wacky is that, y'all? But then Mark, I, well, humiliates her is too strong of a word, but sort of like micro chastises her and says like, but we're not 12 year old girls, so we're not going to go see that. How would you? I mean, when I was his age, I probably would have said something about the same thing. I mean, I did. Did we go to movies like this? Like, I don't even know. I don't know the movie. Practical Magic. I don't know it either. I never went to see it. <laughs> right, because we're not twelve-year-old girls. Right, never was. <laughs> um, but I think it's a shitty thing to say. Rather than just say, if someone expresses interest in anything. And then you come back with like a condescending, like, uh, but we're not babies kind of comment, then that kind of shaming thing, it feels not great. I mean, now, of course, would I even be looking into this if we didn't have the Polaroid picture? Oh, we didn't know where this was going to go moment about Mark, where we know Mark's going to turn out to be something negative in Kate's life. Yeah. No, I don't know that I would even read into this and, you know, calling Randall Randy and all that stuff like that. I don't know. I was that kid. I would have definitely been like, hi, Mrs. Kate. Hi, Randy. Like I would have completely or I might even say hi, Kate's brother. Like just to be a douche. Like that's the kind of jokiness that I totally would do. I called called all of my friends, Mrs. Whatever my friend's name was. So I'd be like, hello, Mr. JJ. Hello, Mrs. JJ. (laughs) Like. Whatever, because my friend's name was JJ. So like that was kind of like my MO and it didn't like bother me at all. And they would laugh. And um, so I don't know that I thought that he was being anything other than just like a goofy teenager. But because we know he turns out to be a bad guy, then, yeah, I'm like reading into everything. I'm like, what's with that wispy mustache? Mark, what are you trying to pull with that? Like jean jacket you're wearing, Mark, like everything he does. I'm like reading into his bullshit. Like, did he only have like one button buttoned like an asshole would, right? Right. Like I'm totally reading into everything. So I don't know. It it was this tiniest little nugget, but I do. I did think it was funny that they dropped in practical magic for old Griffin Dunn. I thought that was funny. Let's move on to the larger story of R&R slash what's going on in the Randall Pearson house. The mini mini story of that household is Beth chaperoning a little Deja Malik time. Oh, my God. This is the least interesting part of the whole episode. Yeah, but you laughed. You actually were like, you've got to watch this part with the popcorn. That's because it seems like they let the the lady that plays Beth do 
some silly business. Like you there. don't know her name. Susan Kalichi Watson. Watson. Come on now. The lady the that lady. plays Beth. <laughs> no, like like the popcorn gag and just just so do you guys remember the, the popcorn the gag? I think, I think it was that. funny when yeah. she's like, she's like, hey, nah, nah, nah. nah. <laughs> she's like, gotta be faster than that. Nah. Like, I did think that was, it was funny. I was glad you made me rewind it and watch it again. That was funny. I was giggling. But then the rest of it just is a really long way of saying that Deja is uncomfortable asking to go see her mom. That's yeah. the punchline. Well, so they did milk it for as much dramatic effect as possible by making us feel like Malik was definitely pressuring her to have sex, right? That was the preview. A hundred percent what yes. we're supposed to feel is like, holy shit, he's got the balls to come in on day one of chaperone dating and audibly pressure her to have sex. What a jerk, right? That's what we're supposed to be thinking, which in retrospect, come on. Come on, audience. We know that couldn't have been what's going on. It doesn't make any damn sense. They barely touched a pinky and she recoiled. Surely Malik <laughs> is not going to be laying on that line, please. So now we have, I guess I'll call her Mrs. Deja. <laughs> Shauna. Shauna coming to Tea Giving Gobble Day. Yeah, that's, I mean, they, they needed about 20 minutes of screen time to, to tell all that. Well, and, and some storming upstairs and no, send him away. And that all. part, you know what? If you had to fight so hard to get a chaperone date, so hard, I cannot imagine it ending with me marching upstairs and having my mom send him away. What in the hell? Like, I would not, that would be the end of it. Like, this is the dumbest pairing of two people. If you're going to be running upstairs and telling your mom to send away on a chaperone First date. Like I said in the last podcast, she turns everything up to 11. Yeah. So yeah. there she was at 11. There she was, 11ing up the stairs. Right. <laughs> totally 11ing. Get on to our RNR storyline because that is the thing that is going to be leading us to the much bigger season end arc. All right. To summarize the flashback portion of RNR time, kind of the I guess the culmination of the special relationship, I would say, of Randall and Rebecca that from childhood that, that kind of drove where their relationship went in later adolescence and, and young adulthood is he still comes home and he doesn't need to um, for during, during college and he helps get her this, this job. Um, I thought it was really sweet that he did go in and actually effectively speak to the hiring boss and managed to make Rebecca's case. I feel like very, very in a knot, I guess, because when we've talked about Rebecca in the past, you have mentioned that she is always the fifth Pearson. She's always like the weakest. She always has the goofiest storyline, if any at all. She's always like the, the, you know, someone who's just commenting on someone else's storyline. So I'm, I'm, I guess, I guess it makes sense that Randall ends up being the mouthpiece for her, but I'm sad for Rebecca that she just, it feels a whole lot like she never really grows up. Well, She's maybe always under some man's guidance. 
I don't know exactly who listens to this podcast, so this may be a risky comment, Whoa. but don't most stay-at-home moms have the same problem eventually as her, which is that the skill set that they started with isn't what people are asking for now. Yeah, it's super common. Let's give Rebecca this one as a gimme now that she's back in the workforce, and if she still needs... Uncle Randall to come get her the Uncle next job, Randall. then that's deduct points. But but this one, let's just give her any old mom or other stay at home parent whose whose skills were they were just outdated. Seventeen years out of date, right? Would need something to get a job that they weren't qualified for. But it seems like you would just say that. I recognize that I have been out of the workforce for X amount of years. There are definitely jobs out there that they get that and they understand that you are somebody who's coming back to the workforce. Now, maybe that's just 2020 thinking right now, but I don't think you'd have to explain that to somebody else. Now, I think that Randall offering to teach her the software and have her all caught up by Monday and be ready to start the job, like hit the ground running. That seems like, okay, Randall is actually a very unique kiddo that he is able to teach his mom you know, and get her up to speed. You're right, though. Once she is up to speed, though, I pray to God she is not a dithering idiot in the workplace. <laughs> because if they make her that, I'm going to feel so bad about this fifth place Pearson. You know, even in death, Jack is more interesting of a storyline than what they give Rebecca. She's always been lagging. I don't know. She came out of the gate when you look back to when they're first dating as a confident, smart woman, young, but smart. And I just feel like I know, of course, her husband's death would be would be a huge blow to her confidence and to her what she can handle. But she had to know she wasn't going to know the software. Like, did she not have any? She didn't have anything to say to those things. Yeah, you know, like yeah. it, it kind of, I don't know. And and to have a 17 or 18 year old kid be able to better speak up for you than you can for yourself. You know, she doesn't like it, people. I, I just hope it improves. I hope that I, I like you said, if we if we have to give Rebecca and Rebecca's story a gimme. OK, she's just this is her foray back in. But the way that Randall tells her at the end of the of the story here for the last 20 years, he's been more of the parent and she's been more of the child. That worries me. That worries <laughs> me that she's not going to find her footing. We're never going to see a grown adult, Rebecca, fully formed, fully capable. Again, I feel like she went from her father to her husband to her son and she never stood on her own two feet. That feels shitty, you know, and I wish we didn't have to see that because even really before Jack, she had like a potential fiance between her dad and Jack. You know, there was like that other guy that was kind of hanging around. And so it's mm -hmm. like, I, mm, I always dislike that. I want to see a fully formed Rebecca with her ideas and thoughts. There had to have been a point when she was. I wonder if this period will be very fleshed out, you know, while Randall's at college and the other two are doing whatever it is that they did. Yeah. You know, I realized that we've been talking about season five as the potential ending, although I do not see that. And in an interview, I definitely saw their, their whispers of season six. I realized how much we still have yet to go. You know, we still have 
Kate having to decide to go out to L.A. Remember, she's going to be like a waitress and we have that whole life happening. And she ends up being the personal assistant to Kevin. Like we have quite a bit of story left to tell that disregards Rebecca's illness, Jack growing up, Toby and Kate getting divorced, Kevin getting married and having a kid, whatever fight's going to happen. But as we go along here, it's like. We have a lot of stories to tell for it to really only be wrapping up in like 20 or so episodes. So I got to think there's a season six. We'll see. Let's get into R&R for just a little bit more in terms of Rebecca's health, because there's been so much bantered around about. Is this Alzheimer's? Is this some sort of dementia? What could be going on with Rebecca? She's definitely taking pictures of a lot of things. It was intimated that she lost her phone. She had to get a new phone. This was the new phone. She, she was misplacing. Yeah. Well, didn't lose it, misplaced it on a desk that it got covered up. I don't know if that really counts, but her reaction is really more than that to me. It being placed on a desk where something got placed on top of it, that's not that big of a deal. The part where she was like, I need you to help me find my phone. You don't understand. Like the way that she was reacting, that again, that like I can't handle anything response, that is what is concerning to me. Well, if she'd put the emphasis on the device as the thing that was supplementing her memory that she knew was faltering, then you would get a frantic sort of reaction out of her. Exactly. So that makes sense more to me than we should look down on her that a piece of paper got on top of her phone. You know, that's normal. That could have happened. But her panic, that was the clue, you know. Mm -hmm. So I liked the little full circle of having Randall be the one to help her make the bed because they had shown, you know, Jack and her making the bed so much at the beginning. Then they showed her trying to make the bed. And again, you guys, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I make beds all the time. I can do it without there being someone pulling on the other corner. So I know it's like all a metaphor, but it would be amazing if they have a scene where Rebecca successfully makes a bed alone. (laughs) Like that's kind of an important step to like being a full person. Can you make the bed alone? Like you've had help all your life, but can you do it by yourself? So I thought it was nice that they had Randall do it at the at the end with her to kind of show like, okay, he's like taking up the other corner and apparently he has been for a long time, but I'm, I'm worried about Rebecca. I know that fans have put out there that it is Alzheimer's and she said straight up no. So this is going to be something more complicated than that. I don't Mm. know what it will be. Yeah, me neither. I mean, when you start talking about Alzheimer's and dementia and whatever other varieties of memory problems that um, people become afflicted with, I don't know what characterizes one over the other. They all seem like your memory goes away. I mean, they 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 wouldn't have separate names if they weren't different. Yeah. And I know? think that's where This Is Us gets into those things. I mean, where like they bothered to have the neighbor, I believe his name's Garrett, right, in the show, that they bothered to have him say, like, people who have a massive stroke can have, you know, like muscle spasms and having a bad day. Or my face has a hard time showing empathy and compassion, but, So does you know. mine, but I never had the stroke. Well, yeah. Maybe know. I should tell people I did. Oh, <laughs> that's why you can't show empathy and gratitude. Yes. Yeah. That, mm. Now, that would garnish a whole different response out of people. That's for sure. Um, I'll think about it. I think that whatever it's going to be, there has to be enough differentiation for her to have definitively say the character does not have Alzheimer's. You know, like there's yes. got to be something else that we're going to start seeing with her that's going to be real, real Well, there are specific. other even more dreadful conditions that eat up your brain. 
in in a way that's like and it could be it could be a brain even, tumor even more terrifying it could be like i said it could be a brain tumor it could be something that's like you know i we don't know you know she had that cancer scare a long time ago remember mm-hmm. and so who knows i mean it could be something we don't know definitely something to do with memory loss and you know, that's been like beaten on home here. And the whole idea of like going to see a doctor. Now, this is the second time in this season where we've had somebody being encouraged to go to the doctor. Remember when Beth was encouraging Randall to go see a counselor. And now we have Rebecca being encouraged to go see a doctor. I definitely think that those parallels are going to come through at some point. We're going to see R&R parallel having some sort of health issue where they're going to be forced to see a doctor. Um, And maybe that's going to be handled very differently. I don't know. But I can see that, how he sets up parallels, Fogelman. I definitely see there being something about that. I'm not sure what. Good call. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And catch us for the season finale. Mid-season. The mid-season finale. Join us on our new venture called Pod Clubhouse. Come on over and listen to more podcasts from a variety of collaborating podcasters. Thanks for listening, pod people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.